You're listening to Spartan Up Podcast. We're going to interview somebody every week from all over the world and see what they did in their life to become successful, no matter how they defined it. <clears throat> um, no, no, it's excuse me. I just had to cough up a, a bone from oh, yeah, mammoth I just hunted. Okay, but oh, it's ahead. Joe's you turn. Go, you go, please, please, Joe. John Durant. All right, ready? We are here for Spartan Up the podcast, and I'm drinking some bone broth. <laughs> mm. I've got Johnny on my Man, left. Looks good. I've got Sephra L on my right, and I've got <laughs> Colonel Nye all the way on my right. Uh, Marion's got the camera today. She was kind enough to, uh, <laughs> kind enough to show up. <laughs> um, John Durant. Who is John Durant? He wrote the Paleo Manifesto. The guy is literally an animal. He's got this giant beard. Took me out for bone broth. Got me hooked on it. Um, he had six or seven bones in his bedroom he was gnawing on as we were talking. Um, in, in between he, his books? In between his books. I'm he, part of that team, yeah. He claims, he claims if you follow... Uh, the diet he's laid out, you'll be more successful, happier, produce more children. Um, let's find out what he has to say. We're here for, with John Durant for Spartan Up Podcast, the Paleo Manifesto uh, author in New York City. Um, he's got 5,000 books. As in a, we had to climb over a pile of books to get in here. There was a cow in the lobby downstairs that I guess was just, you're feeding him and then you were you going to slaughter them at some point? Or? Yeah, it was gra- that's the way to get grass-fed meat here in New York, is you just, your own chickens, your own cow. But. And so are you buying grass? Or how, how do you, <laughs> you just leave piles of grass? Hey, I guess. we got to lobby the mayor for that. <laughs> it's not actually legal right now. But I do have a lot of books. It's, the majority of my possessions by weight are, are books. books. And you've always been a reader? Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and you think um, writers, cause I'm not really a writer, I wrote, I wrote a book, yeah. but um, I needed somebody to help me decipher it into English. Right. Um, most writers are heavy readers, I would, I would oh, imagine. Oh, yeah. Right? That's the best way to become a good writer, other right. than just writing a lot, is to read a lot. Yeah. And um, parents were readers? Or, or? Parents were readers. I mean, so I grew up in houses just filled with books, and it smelled like a library. You know that smell sure. when you walk into like a library or a bookstore? That was in every single house in my extended family. And we just have so many books. And my, my grandfather was an absolutely voracious reader. He'd read books, you know, four times. Wow. Could, like sight lines by memory. W- wouldn't it be more efficient to get like a Kindle or something at this point? <laughs> you don't remember as much in a Kindle. You We've done some of these studies showing that the physical book, and when you actually take notes with pencil and paper, you remember more. I know about the notes because that helped me get through college. I found yeah. out my last semester that if you take the notes yeah. and then rewrite them at night, yeah. changed my whole life. It's even better if you tattoo them on yourself. If you tattoo then you them, really then, never that, then it would work. So can I, before we dive into your interesting story, can I tell you a little bit about me and meat and, and all that? Yeah. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach this conversation with a little bit of skepticism. I'll tell you why. I grew up in, in Howard Beach, Queens, not too far from here, and it was um, organized crime capital world and sausage and pepper capital. Like, we ate meat. But my mother in the early 70s gets into like vegan, spirituality, meditation. She's chanting in the living room. There's monks. And um, <laughs> as a way to get my sister and I off meat, because meat was the devil, um, she started to poison us with these ideas that you can't, not physically poison, right. but poison us with these ideas that you can't uh, kill Bambi and, and there's intestines and all these disgusting blood, blood and, yeah. and just completely turned us off. I still eat a little bit of meat, but... It, but like, I got to work to do it. I mean, so uh, disgust is a really powerful emotion. 
Yeah. It, you know, and it keeps us away from things that can potentially infect us. So bodily fluids, corpses, and guess what? Meat rots faster than plants. Right. So when you look at a lot of the advertising that PETA does or vegans or vegetarians talk about, they try to summon a sense of disgust in people. To, and, and so what's, what's the, the physical bodily response when you feel disgust? You like open your mouth as if to expel something and you move away from it, right. which is the appropriate behavioral response if something could contaminate and infect you. Sure. So, so I actually view, and I read about this in my book, I view some veganism and vegetarianism as sort of as disgust gone awry, where we just take it too far and we're not exposed to farms anymore, we're not exposed to hunting anymore, and people get grossed out by seeing the feet on some chicken in the store. Um, even if it's not a disease risk, even if it's perf perfectly normal. Now, my daughter um, somehow has uh, paleo genes because um, we brought home a whole fish, and at four years old, she immediately went for the eyeballs and started eating them. Yeah. Um, that, that wouldn't be something my mother would have been fond of. Well, and if kids do this stuff young enough, right. before their taste, has, their palate has been set, they'll eat pretty much anything. Yeah. As You know, in South Korea, Korean kids eat kimchi, and most right. people over here, they try kimchi and they think, oh, that's gross, the flavors are too strong. Um, there's a period of time where, where kids will eat pretty much anything that they see adults, their parents, other people eating. So you, so you think it's, um, it's social in a way that, that uh, certainly for me and my, my sister, that's what happened to us. M massively social. But then your palate gets set for maybe 10, 15 years until adulthood, and then in adulthood it tends to expand again. And then are you absolutely sure, I mean, I'm having a tough time with this, again, because understand my background. Yeah. Absolutely sure that meat is the way to go. And I eat a little bit of meat, but, but I'm convinced that fruits and veggies are the way to go. And I'll tell you why. I did, um, do you know Dr. Fred Bishi? Mm -mm. So he's in Staten Island. I'm going to connect you guys. It'll right. be like a war of the worlds in some restaurant. You guys are throwing knives <laughs> at each other. He's 85. He's eaten raw fruits and vegetables only for 50 years. He's still sharp as a tack. And... Um, I met him because I read a book called Raw years ago because my mother was pushing that. And, um, and then I went just raw. And I lasted about um, five months. And, and I have friends that have lasted years. But I lasted five months. I never felt so clear, so alive. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, people think paleo is carnivory and it's all meat all the time which is a caricature, it's not true. I mean, I, when I went paleo, I don't even think I increased my meat intake from what I've been eating before, which is standard American diet. I basically took wheat, corn, and soy out of my diet and replaced it with fruits and vegetables, eating all parts of the animal, fermented foods, stuff like that. So, you know, I, I didn't massively increase my give me, meat give intake. Give me a week, a week long, uh, how much meat uh, during the week? I mean, I have meat or eggs at pretty much every meal. I love eggs. Yeah. All right. I love it. She, she didn't trick us with the <laughs> eggs. I love eggs. So, you know, but like I'm not, I'm not eating just a slab of meat. I'm having right. sort of a normal sized portion of meat with a salad, with veggies, with right. a sweet potato. So, stuff you, like so that. you and Dr. Vichy would agree no processed foods? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're on the same page there. And, um, and then what's your theory on there are parts of, of the earth, I would imagine, where they weren't killing animals. I did, a, I did a race in uh, Fiji. I was way out in the jungle where cars had never been, no televisions, and they rarely, rarely eat meat. It's like a big deal when they kill a cow and then they consume the entire cow and then it's going to be a long time before they do it again. Yeah, I mean, th those populations are also eating a lot of fish. 
Um, there's no known vegan or vegetarian indigenous population in the world. None. None. Okay. And, but, but it does vary. If, if you go far away from the equator, if you look at the Inuit, they right. have an incredibly high proportion of their calories coming from animal foods. If you stay around the equator, then it's a lower proportion. It, you know, it varies. So there's not one right proportion. And that's what I actually like about a so-called paleo diet is guess what? There are lots of different hunter-gatherer tribes and you can construct your own Paleolithic diet. Just try to get off the, try to get off the, um, yeah, you, well, first, reduced so, foods. So processed foods really are industrial foods. It's right. industrially processed foods that came into existence over the last 200 years. Nobody is well adapted to a diet concentrated in industrial foods. Where paleo is different than most, most other approaches is grains and dairy. The two food groups that entered the human diet in large amounts with the agricultural revolution. So most people exclude wheat, corn, soy, stuff like that pretty religiously, and then some people flex a little bit more on dairy. They sort of experiment with it. And, see and you're it doing goes. it with the eggs. Yeah. Right. Well, see, eggs, eggs for some reason got categorized as dairy. It's, I mean, I think of dairy as stuff made from milk. Got it. And dairy is just... The chicken was hanging out that day. That's when right. Whoever was writing it off. <laughs> That's right. You're in there. You're in there, too. <laughs> out comes an egg. Yeah. So, um... What have you found since you made you made the switch? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I didn't do this to lose weight. I right. mean, I was a little bit overweight, but whatever. It was 20 pounds. I'm not, men aren't usually judged by that stuff. I didn't really care. Yeah. For me, it was energy level and mood. Um, and being on a more even keel. I've, throughout a day, not only would my energy spike and crash, but I felt like I would become a different person. I'd fluctuate from optimistic to pessimistic over the course of a meatball sub. Right. And it's hugely dependent on caffeine. And my entire outlook on my job, on my relationships, would completely change. Depending so, on what you ate. Depending on what I ate. Yeah. So, so for me, I, so my energy evened out a lot. And with it, sort of my mood and my sense of self. And then I got some unexpe- unexpected benefits. My, my complexion improved a lot. Yeah. My you immune look, you system look improved. Well, thank you. And so do you. By the way, the healthiest guy I've seen, and we'll go right back to that, yeah. is um, GT Dave. Do you know D- GT Dave's kombucha? Oh, I love kombucha. Yeah, I got to tell his. you, the guy, look, I don't know if it's, um, I joked with him. I don't know if, you know, if he's had work done out in L.A. because he lives in L.A. or not. <laughs> but he's a good, he's a specimen for, yeah. for kombucha. Yeah. Is kombucha allowed? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. I mean, any sort of live culture food, even if it's not strictly paleo, I generally view as a pretty good thing. Because we've just destroyed our guts with, you know, narrow diet, uh, overuse of antibiotics, probably alcohol, stuff like that. So So I live up in Vermont. Yeah. I have a a farm up there. You're invited to to come anytime. And my, my, my idea was exactly as you're describing we've got perfect air we've got the perfect water comes out a million gallons a day comes out of a spring right next to our house and uh poland spring actually shows up with trucks and takes it out not joking and uh we set up a farm we got chickens we got and it's the perfect setup the problem is um it's a lot of work to do to run a farm yeah you know you can see why people went to cereal yeah well in hunting and gathering when you look at hunter gatherers they spent less time working for food than early farmers did. Because right. if you're a farmer, you have to you have to think nine months in advance. Right. You got you know you got to plant your crops very diligently. You've got to protect them from predators. All this work it's really really hard. Hunter gatherers they you know they'll go hunting, they'll make a kill, they'll gorge on it, and then they'll then they'll party and have sex for two days. So lay, let's lay that out. How how long would they fast because they don't have food? Yeah. So um, so they got they got the, the dead carcass right. 
right? They eat it for a couple of days? Yeah, they eat it for like a day or two. I mean, right. stuff spoils, so you, know, you can't keep it for that long. Um, I got a fire going. Right, right. right. So, so for when you read the literature on these different tribes, if people go a day without eating, 24 hours without eating, it's treated as no big deal. Right. It's like, oh, we just didn't eat today, we'll eat tomorrow. Right. You know, maybe you're on a long hunt, maybe you're on a long hike, something, somebody forgot something or you missed your, you know, throw. Right. Um, one day, no big deal. I mean, people typically ate every day, but it wasn't three square meals a day. It se- it, I'm generalizing. It seems like it was more like two meals a day, maybe some snacking in between. People were opportunistic. But, I mean, here's where paleo can go wrong is, you know, people would be like, honey's paleo. Well, honey, if you have to, like, reach into a beehive past the bees or climb a tree and get it, or, you know, maybe there's some bears nearby and you have to scare them off. Okay, yeah, that's paleo. Like, honey on demand all day, every day, you know, is not. That's the problem, right? we're, We're fed on demand. Yeah. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. That's the problem, right? That's we, the problem. We, we're, we're fed on demand. Yeah, yeah. Not on supply, because there's unlimited supply, certainly in our country. So, so on the topic of the craziest thing I've done while fasting. Yeah. Uh, so I was on the Colbert Report okay. a few years ago, and I didn't get much sleep the night before. I'm like... This is the biggest moment in my life. I'm going to be on you know, national TV. This is typically regarded as one of the hardest interviews on all of television. Right. And I got you know, hardly any sleep. And I knew that if I went to coffee, I was just going to be strung out all day yeah. and, and not focused and whatever. And if I ate, I was going to get sleepy. So I just fasted. I had a little bit of pastrami at 8 a.m. Yeah. in the morning and didn't eat for the next uh, you know, 8, 9, 10 hours. And, and then went on, and then went great. And it went great. It went great. Yeah. So I agree. Fasting is amazing. I, I promise myself all the time I'm going to do one day a month, and yeah. I you just don't. I don't get it done. Yeah. I get busy with something. Food's available. Right. I so I will sometimes do it uh, on Mondays as a way to sort of recover from the weekend, which sure. get involved too much alcohol. But alcohol is not paleo. No, it's not. Right. It's definitely not. Unless alcohol. You fight your way through bears into the bar. Into yeah, into, yeah, <laughs> Where, and get the fermented fruit that's right. lying on the floor. Yeah. Um, alcohol is probably the the single unhealthiest thing in my diet. It's Thank not, you. Yeah. Thank you, because I feel like I'm fighting the whole world. If I was lucky enough to build like a city or something or run a, yeah. a populated area. I would, there would be no alcohol. And I know people are going to hate hearing that, but there'd be no alcohol. There'd be no elevators. Yeah, no, right? love it. Only stairs. Yep. Um, I don't, I'd probably have stores, but there'd be no processed food. Well, and so, I, I, I mean... Lights would be out 9 p.m., Yes. by the way, yes, yeah. in well, bed. And we're products of our habitat. I think about it as us being wild animals. And if you go to a zoo, which is my second chapter of my book, I go to the Cleveland Zoo yeah. to learn how to keep these gorillas healthy in captivity. We don't expect the gorillas to count calories or to be perfectly disciplined or something like that. We change their habitat and they respond to changes in their habitat. And that works for us too. And so guess what? If you have lots of chairs around, People are going to sit on them. If you have lots of junk food around, people are going to... You know, I have to connect you with this Cornell researcher um, we met with. I'm going to botch this. But they're doing studies, not necessarily on the food you eat, but the layout of the environment, your kitchen, your house. And um, you might might have the book. Let's see. You've got 5,000 books. I have the book. Hold on. What's the name? I got to have this here. 
Um, damn. It was right over here. But he, he basically says um, he can watch. Mind, mindless eating is the name. Something of like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. He basically says, um, depending on where you place your food, depending on how organized your kitchen is, yeah. um, he'll watch weight fluctuate. Yeah. So, so habitat yeah. is, is, is critical. Well, and it's, your habitat is the people around you. Right. And that is one of the biggest things, you know, if people are trying to quit smoking or change how much alcohol they drink, it's really hard to do that if you're still married to someone who smokes or in the right. same job. Or, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a single guy in yeah. New York City and every well, social there's event... There's not too many women that are going to walk past the cow that you have <laughs> in, the, in the lobby. I'm just throwing that out there. That could be throwing a monkey wrench in your I program. I actually <laughs> very do. Um, the, Every social event here revolves around alcohol. Let's go have a drink. Let's go have a drink. Let's go have a drink. Right. And it kills your, you know, it's late at night. It kills right. your sleep, kills your immune system. Uh, yeah, alcohol. My, my city lights would be out at night. Nothing good happens after 9.30 p.m. anyway. Yeah. What good, like, give me something good that happens. Maybe you write a few more chapters of your book. Right. But that's inside. That's not with a drink. Yeah, right, right, right. right? That's maybe a little romance. <laughs> um, how are we going to get the culture off um, all this alcohol? Well, um, boy, I think it comes about, correct me if I'm wrong, because we have so much free time. We do have a lot of free right? time. You're in a third world country. You don't have time to no. drink. You're going to screw up tomorrow. Well, and, you know, we, people are so high strung and stressed out these days. There's this chronic low level stress that everybody has, that it's like at the end of the day, people use it, it's a sedative. They use it basically to go to bed. Right. We use coffee to wake up, right. alcohol to go to bed. Um, so I'm not, I'm not totally sure what the answer is. I mean, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe we drink kombucha. There you go. It has less alcohol. There Some of it has yeah. alcohol in it. So. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. What, what do you know about the China study? Oh, the China study. Well, there's a difference between the book, the China study, and the actual China. academic data study that was happened done. there. Um, I don't think, it, the book is well known and basically argues that animal protein is bad for you. Um, and I think it's, I think there are a lot of problems with that. When you actually dig into the data, I don't think that's what's shown. It's shown that uh, wheat flour is one of the worst things that you can eat. Um, I, would, and, uh, I would agree with that. And, no. and uh, you know, it's an epidemiological study. It looks at correlations. And... Uh, what they did was they, you know, they took uh, aggregate mortality statistics for 60-some provinces in China, and then they surveyed people from those provinces five, ten years later and looked at their aggregate average diet. So it's kind of like if you took the average diet of each state in America and you took aggregate mortality st statistics from each state in America and then looked at some correlations, which I... so. I think it's a little overhyped how powerful that study is. Got it. So you're not buying it? I'm not buying it. Yeah. So my mom got me. The China study got a few of us. Yeah. And, um, and maybe you and the cow in the, in, the, in the lobby is the right way to go. Well, but look, look, I view, you know, there's a lot of media out there that pits vegan versus paleo. And it's like right. meat versus plant. Um, and really it's more like yin and yang. Getting off of industrial diets for most people is the most important thing um, and reforming sort of the industrial food system and that's a massive area of agreement and guess what, Pale like, you know, I got 
West Point cadets reading my blog and reading my book who never in a million years would become vegan, but now they're asking where their food comes from and like how the animal was treated. And it comes from, it doesn't come from love, it comes from respect. Right. And, and so I, I, you know, I think it's a, you know, I feel like a lot of women will talk about love and there's like a hunter's ethic and a more masculine ethos where people talk about respect the animal that you eat, yeah. which can resonate with a lot of people. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I, um, we have the farm and maybe it's from my mother's, um, poisoning of my sister and I, but, um, man, hard to, hard to kill the animal and, uh. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, it. Uh, I mean, what have you done to eat it? Yeah, <laughs> can't eat a lie. So but. I, so I shot a deer. Yeah. Uh, for my book, that you know, it was my first hunting experience. I grew up in Michigan, but my grandfathers didn't hunt, and that's usually how you learn. Um, and uh, so, you know, I killed a deer. I killed Bambi. I mean, you talk about yeah, yeah. getting scared about Bambi. I killed a male yearling. How'd that go? I, I, it was fine. It was fine. It was one clean shot. You know, dropped it where it stood. There was no writhing in pain or anything right. like that. And we ate all of it, shared it with others. I mean, that's a great part about hunting is you can't eat it all yourself. So, you, you know, you have to share it with others. Sure. And it's fun to share it with others. I am. Um, and, lady, and the ladies love it. I'll so. tell you my story now. Um, and I, I apologize for some of you that heard this. So we were doing reconstruction of the farm up in Vermont. Yeah. We just had our first baby. And um, I hired a guy to do some excavation work before the winter. The winter in Vermont, um, as it sets in around October, November, is hunting season. The guy that was doing the excavation work said, I want to go hunting for two weeks. I said, if you do that, we're not going to get the work done, and we have to get the work done. Reluctantly, he does the job. I come home to take my wife on our first dinner date after having the baby. Her mom is going to watch the baby. And the operator of the uh, excavation machine who wanted to go hunting is sweating profusely, approaches me and says, we got a problem, I got to get out of here. I said, what's the problem? He said, you don't let me go hunting. I've hunted my whole life, 20 years, and um, I was operating the machine today and I couldn't resist. The deer ran by and so I jumped off the backhoe and I tackled it and killed it with a handsaw. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I'm like processing that, right? And... Um, and he said, I got to bury it in the yard. I said, well, why are you going to bury a deer in my backyard? Assuming all, right. anything you tell me is true. I'm a felon and I'm on parole and the deer's not tagged and hunting season ended yesterday. I don't understand any of this because yeah. I'm, I'm not right. a hunter. Right. Anyway, I said, listen, I'm sure there are hunters that yeah. are, would be happy with this deer. Put it in the backhoe, lift it off the ground. I have to go to dinner with my wife. If you decide to come back to work tomorrow, great. If not, no big deal. Yep. I'm going to call somebody, right? So I call yep. up a guy. We go to dinner, come back, wake up in the morning. Deer's not in the backhoe. I'm thinking, everything's great. Well, it turns out, I go to lunch that day at the general store. This is a tiny town, 400 people. And while I'm at the general store, they say to me, I assume the neighbor picked up the deer out of the backhoe. They say to me, hey, do you want any venison for lunch? I said, how do we have venison? Because I know the general store, yeah. don't have any venison. So you never believe this. The carpenters were getting done with the construction work in the back and they're walking by your backhoe and there's a deer they find at seven o'clock at night. They carried it a mile to the general store. They gutted <laughs> it in the backyard and they hung it in the freezer. Yeah. Anyway, as you can imagine, the story goes on and on and on. But somewhere, well, we are wired. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, so, so, the, so I went, we're, we're wired for this. Yeah. And, and I mean, one point is a skilled human hunter is the least painful way for a deer to die. 
The alternatives right. are being torn apart alive by a coyote, right. um, wasting away of disease in the woods, starving to death slowly over the f- course of a few weeks in the winter, or getting hit by a car and bleeding to death over a few hours right. by the side of the road. So it's actually a humane way for a deer to go. Right. Um, so I went on a... Do you know what persistence hunting is? I've heard the term, but it would refresh my memory. It, it's an ancient form of hunting. It's still practice run it, run it where you run a deer, or yeah. you run an animal to exhaustion. Right. And, uh, and it was written about in Born to Run yeah, and some yeah. other stuff like that. So I, Barefoot Ted, who's one of the characters in Born to Run, he calls me up one day, a few years ago, and he goes, Dude, persistence hunt, Wyoming, buy a ticket now. So I'm like, all right, got to go. Uh, so we, so seven of us, I think it was seven of us, went out to the Red Desert in Wyoming to do an attempted persistence hunt. Um, three of the of the seven were vegans. Two of the three said if we did run an animal down, they would eat it because right. it was this yeah, traditional sure. form. Sure. So we go in to get a permit from, you know, from the from the game warden. And we don't know what kind of permit to get because it's right. like, we're going to run this animal to death. That's not one of the options, All persistence right. hunting. So we're like... Um, maybe like a you know a bow and arrow license or something like that. And the warden says, "Well, how are you killing the animal?" It's like we're going to run it to death. He just starts laughing. He goes, "You've never seen a Wyoming antelope before, have you?" And uh, you know he's got these like coastal yuppies coming in here. Sure. And uh, so he goes, "Yeah, we'll just get like a, like a bow and arrow license." And, and guess what? If you, yeah, and good luck. And if you get close enough to kill it with a knife, you know. Nobody's going to say a thing. Right. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we went out there for, for three days. Um, one of our guys chased, uh, chased a, like two or three antelope for about six miles. Oh, wow. And like stayed on their tail for, for something like that. Wow. And uh, Patrick Sweeney, um, he, he's an amazing runner. Uh, but ultimately, we realized very quickly that they are professional prey yeah. and we were amateur predators. Sure. That's and right. Really didn't get close. As soon as they started, they were gone. Yeah, they were gone. And, you know, you need flat terrain so that you can see them even when they sprint, sure. you know, three quarters of a mile away. Um, we needed the temperature to be hotter than it was. It was late July, early August, but it still wasn't hot enough to yeah. really get them to overheat. And, and you, you actually need sort of like big, slow animals more than fast. I, 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 other than the problem this would cause for the predator, I would think snow would be the ideal situation because you'd see the prints. Yeah, it's just hard to run in snow. It's hard to run in snow, too. yeah. So, and, and even if... They like, get too much rest. And you just, they get too much rest. Right. And the Kung Bushmen, who, who use this method still, they only succeed about 50% of the time. Got and it. they, you know, they're good at this. Right. Uh, so, you'd, have, you'd have a 3% chance if, yeah. if that. If that. Yeah. We, realistically, we had a 0% You needed chance. my guy with a handsaw. That's right. (laughs) You would have had a chance. I I have killed a pigeon in Central Park. Really? Yeah. Eat it or? So, I'm... The truth truth, truth comes out. Peter is going to call I know, I know. So You ate it. You ate it. We ate it. We ate it. But I was was with a hunter buddy who was talking about eating invasive species. Right. How'd it uh, taste? You know, there's the whole psychological thing with disgust, and I didn't really want to eat it. Um... But we cooked it a lot. It was. It looked more like red meat, maybe yeah. like quail or pheasant or something, yeah. rather than chicken. And it tasted pretty good. If I didn't know that it was a pigeon, you would have been okay. I would have been okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've. Um, but they are filthy animals that we should not be eating. They're filthy. Yeah. 
But um, but chickens are pretty dirty too. I mean, we have yeah. a chicken, we have a chicken coop, and it's right. pretty pretty disgusting. Right. So, right. anyway, that was great. I'm gonna go um, eat some of that cow. <laughs> All right. <Yeah>. Save some <laughs> for me. That was awesome. So that was one of my favorite things to watch with you guys. The back and forth there that uh, that obviously they didn't see us. Um, I think we all agree with his basic principles, and yet I've never had an interview where there's been so much, come on, you're kidding me, about different specific things. Like, I completely agree that we should be eating way less processed food, as you used the, he used the term industrial food. But, but there were points that he made that Jeffrey, you're like, come on. Oh my God, no, no offense, John Duran, you're really smart. We love that you're perfect. Paleo is very important for people. I just, no, there's a couple question marks. Like, um, I just never knew that in between hunting and gathering, it was like a Bacchanalian state of orgy. I didn't, I'll you tell know, you, as, as, as a salesperson, as a salesperson, as a salesperson, he's done more to convince me to go paleo than your, than your typical CrossFit. All right, so we'll go get a deer on. and then we'll make out. Let's go. Okay, let's go. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to grab a lion and, and each other. Miguel, Miguel's still here? I'm just Anyways, um, no, but you know, he had, a, he had a lot of really good things to say. And I think, um, you know, I appreciate people understanding paleo. He says like, cut out soy wheat and dairy, you know, in terms of wheat, right? If you're eating like ancient heritage land raised grains, like emmers and einkorns, and like, this is what we, we've been living off of for thousands of years. So there, there are grains that are good for you. It's just that our, our, our local grain mills are closed. And Colonel mm -hmm. Nye normally calls his wife and says, hey, on your way home, can you pick up some einkorns? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we, we talked to Mrs. Nye this morning. Yeah, yeah. We, we it, talked about the granola she it, made. It certainly, is, it certainly is a good example, though, of where we're so removed from access to natural foods in our, in our society. I know you're going to argue, then, and rightly so, that we don't have to be, that there's certainly ways to get it. But the, people, the average person doesn't even know what a natural food is. They, they think Wonder Bread is food, right? And so, so if you're looking at our current diet, what's out there, certainly removing all of those processed things makes a lot of sense. Your, your point that you know, if you're gonna go with natural elements, you can still have some grains and things in there um, would be different than that. Colonel Nye, you got something to say there. No, 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 I was looking at her hand movements over here. I was just making sure we were. <laughs> you wanna know what the problem is? The problem is business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I'm a businessman. The yeah. problem uh, is the solution. If you walked into our general store just up the road, you're going to see 50 different kinds of drinks. Sure. Yeah. We don't need 50 different kinds of drinks. Yeah. We but every, everybody's trying to figure out a way to make some money, which, yeah. which is fair, yeah. right? Everybody wants to get ahead. Consumerism. And, and Consumerism. And so it's, it's every single day uh, creating some new product, uh, in some ways just it being snake oil, yeah. and then a bunch of people sitting around a desk not saying, how do we make this healthier? That's uh, not the discussion. How do we sell more of this? How do we sell more of this? Yeah, yeah. Well, how, do you, how do you mass produce? And sell more. And sell more and right. make it at, easy at, at, for the consumer to get cheaply. That's it. Or think of mass quantity. And, think of, and, and all we really need to be selling is celery and water. Well, kind of. I mean, most and, celery. And a, little, and a little boku powder. Yeah. Well, sure. But, okay. Maybe, maybe well, some bone broth. But, I mean, think about it. For the MREs and stuff, that's a hard That's a hard situation. Like, how do you get healthy, nutritious food into those type of meals? That's a whole different conversation. But Colonel Nye and I were at West Point, and um, they fed at one sitting, I believe, uh, 4,000 4, people. We, we sat down at once. We had 15 minutes to eat, and um, it was a factory feeding. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It was, it has to be. Which is okay. funny because that actually, when you think about how we feed the animals that we then feed to us, we're trying to mass feed oh, them so right. we, get, we get rid of anything sensible and just cram them through so we can then do the same with us. You, you go into a McDonald's, that's mass feeding too. Yeah. Hopefully you haven't been in one recently, but yeah. you know, it's just order after yeah. order yeah, after order. Again, the option is what? He talked about the uh, 
perseverance hunting or the persistence, persistence hunting. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a funny story out there trying to chase a, chase an elk for six Well, days. think about the kudu I mean, and the Kalahari. You wouldn't even need video games then. If you sent kids Thank out you, right, Joe. and said, hey, go, go hunt a rabbit, <laughs> come back when you're done. Right. Easy and, enough and to skin rabbit sticks. There are pockets of places in the United States that can still do that, but you can't. As a culture, I mean, as a whole country. I, I will tell you this. <laughs> I tell you this. I was in, and again, this is unrealistic, as you point out. I was in Fiji, and we could we could wrap it up with this. But I was in Fiji, and uh, not Fiji that we all think of, not one of the islands where it's all sandy sure. beaches and sun, but the interior of Fiji uh, on the island where the city of Suva sits. Well, for hundreds of miles beyond Suva, there's never been a car. There's no TV. People are walking around with no shoes. And um, for nine days, I traveled through there from village to village through thick brush where you've got to chop it out with machetes and um, never saw happier people. Yeah. Uh, they eat right off the, the land, they healthiest can be. Insects. Toughest guys around, the, the ones that do make it to the city end up playing rugby yeah, and, yeah. And, they're, and they're animals. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, and so I don't know, have we really advanced is my, is my question? Like what, what is advancement? I know to wrap up here and I, and I support the people who are into paleo. Um, it's kind of hard to be like, I'm a hardcore paleo. I live in Brooklyn. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just saying that I need to talk closer to the microphone. Um, I, I think it's awesome. And any, any journey that you're on where you want to eat like healthy local forage, great. I think something that, 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 you know, I invite Spartans look into is, um, like grasshoppers and insects that are like full of omega threes that there's tons of, <laughs> no, that are super high in protein that have minimal impact on bring, hunting on them. Bring them to the race. Let's have a yeah. big, Me a great big of them. Believe me, they're yeah. delicious. Eat them, eat, eat, eat an Exo bars. I'm not trying to do a plug for them or anything, but, uh, but, but, but yeah. they're delicious. And they John's going to love that you mentioned that because John's involved with Exo. But uh, let's just wrap it up by saying if you are not watching this and you're listening, um, Sephra has a um, nose ring, which is a little bone. Is it a chicken bone? What is that? It, your... it, it, it's from uh, an ancient mastodon <laughs> nice. skull. <laughs> and, and, and if you want to see it in person, come to a Spartan race where Sephra will have a stand where she'll be selling live <laughs> crickets and grasshoppers. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Go to SpartanUpPodcast.com to learn more about John, to learn more about uh, our other shows, and we'll see you there. And the bone broth. And the bone Cheers. broth. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. Find show notes, video, and audio from this awesome episode at SpartanUpPodcast.com slash 061. Or follow us on Twitter at SpartanUpPod. The SpartanUp Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.